I don't even think about the brand first. I think about the person first now because they represent the company. Good, bad, or indifferent. That's just how my mind works. And I think today, you know, you started talking about experiences. I think the ones that can go and create the totality of the experience, that's when you know you've really got ensconced into somebody's mental shelf space. You created such an experience, they can't fathom not having you in their life in some way, shape, or form. But at least the experience that we had, it'll live on forever. Helping you create loyal customers and loyal employees all through the power of simplicity. This is the Simple Brand Podcast, now heard around the world, including Helsinki, Finland. I'm your host, Matt Lyles, and this week I'm talking with Jim Knight. Jim's the former head of global training for Hard Rock International, so you know he's great at teaching people how to deliver rock star experiences. Today, He's an international keynote speaker and expert at leadership, training and development, and customer experience. And Jim's the author of three best-selling books, including his latest, Service That Rocks, Create Unforgettable Experiences and Turn Customers Into Fans. Now, if you heard my previous episode with Brittany Hodak, then you know that you shouldn't just settle for creating loyal customers. Your goal should be to deliver an experience to your customers that turns them into raving fans. And that's just what Jim teaches as well. Jim and I discuss his lessons from Service That Rocks all around hiring the right people for your business, then giving them the communications, the training, and the empowerment they need to deliver those rock star experiences that make your brand iconic. So here it is. Here's my interview with Jim Knight. Hey, Jim. Welcome to the show. How's it going, Matt? Good to finally be on the show. I am. I'm so yes. excited, my friend. Thank you for that. I'm excited, too, for, well, I'm excited for a number of reasons. You know, the, the music background, you know me, you know I love music. So anytime I get to talk music, especially as it relates to branding and customer experience, yeah, I'm going to love that. But also, I just wanted to see the hair in person. <laughs> Is it in frame? I just want to make sure that it doesn't go out of frame. It's so high today. I don't know it what's is. happening. It has a life of its own. Right, right now it's in frame. Awesome, but, awesome. But I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. I've got envy now. But you know, good news. Like we're, I guess I can say we're both part of the cool hair club. We are. We think it's cool anyway. I, I yeah. hope some of your questions are about hair care products. We're gonna go there today. <laughs> you know, you have favorite hair care brands. That's what this episode is about. Exactly. Exactly. For two people that are going to pay attention to that one. Yeah. There you go. But really, I'm excited to talk about service that rocks. Awesome. Man, again, being able to tie lessons from music industry, lessons from, you know, rock stars and how they are able to get fans following them and what companies and what brands can learn from that. So this is exciting. Yeah, me too. And I'll tell you, I think music in general, for the most part, I think people like music. It doesn't necessarily have to be rock and roll, but right. being in a band and being in a brand, I think have a lot of similarities. So yeah, you'll, you'll see obviously when you're reading the book, but also when I'm on stage and, and doing one of my keynote speeches, I do try and do a lot of music orientation. I think that's just part of the edutainment, right? It is. It's a common ground for so many people. And mm -hmm. whether you're talking about somebody's favorite band 
or at least a band that they recognize, you know, like a, a band that's really popular that they at least know of. Like, oh, I get that. I understand what that means. Now, here's how we can incorporate the same thing into our yep. customer experience. Wow. Exactly. I, I will say it's starting to get a little bit harder now because some of the bands that maybe you and I would probably mention, I'll probably forever on stage talk about U2, the Rolling yeah. Stones. Sometimes I'll bring up the Beatles or, or the Who. Uh, it's starting to be an issue out in the audience. Some of these people have never heard of those bands. It blows my mind. And if I'm not picking something that's a little bit more relevant or maybe country or EDM music, and I can't exactly make the same analogy. So, I'm, you know, in 10 years from now, I'm really going to have to probably change some of the examples that I use. But for now, I think we're all good. I, I'm hoping your audience knows at least those three or four bands. You know what? I'm thinking that they do. And if not, well, you know what? I'm happy to educate them. Yes, yes, that would be a fun episode. Well, when we talk about service that rocks, we talk about service and customer experience. I think of all the things that go into what we offer our customers. So all the brand building, all the advertising, the actual product or the actual service itself. So why is the experience so important? Well, I think it's the most important part. You were making a great example. I, I find it very frustrating for marketing departments to spend millions of dollars, perhaps beating on their chest, talking about how awesome it is and let's get you into our environment only to get inside the four walls. If it is even a physical building, it can be online and over the phone. It doesn't matter to me. But when you get to the ultimate experience where you have to deal with humans or perhaps the product itself is a little bit subpar then it's a waste of all those marketing dollars and all that noise that we made out there. So, you know, I think it's the totality of the experience. You almost have to focus as much time, energy, effort, money, rigor inside the organization as you do talking about it on the outside. And, you know, a common theme that you'll probably hear me talk about, Matt, is I just think a lot of that is predicated on human behaviors. If you get the right people, then you're going to create the experience that you want. For me, it's a preordained result. I've got to be able to rock people's face off because I know if I do that, they're going to come back. They're going to spend more money. They're going to talk about me positively. If I can't get to those three, what difference does it make? It just becomes, you know, pretty blase. You know, that's everybody else is doing that. That the basics now for me are price of admission type stuff. You really yeah. have to go above and beyond to really get people to go, oh my gosh, I want more of that. You know, that's it. That's it. Yeah. And you know, when you think about marketing and how marketing wants to talk about the experience and wants to talk about the brand, well, then the actual experience itself, that becomes a moment of truth. Does the experience match what the advertising says it is? Exactly. And again, I think before they enter into the business, you know, whatever it is, the public, first and foremost, they, they have a need, right? They have... Yeah some product or some service that they need. So they come in and they go, I need the fundamental basics. So sometimes even when I'm in front of an audience, I might say, do you guys like your product? Are you happy with what you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you happy with what you do? They might be going crazy. Right after that, I go, check, you're in the game. Because that part, that rung right there to me is the basics, the fundamental. Then there's the next rung where it's the atmosphere. It's the environment. It, it's how you, you sort of set the stage, if you will. And that can be anywhere from lighting to music to scent to, you know, if my my product is hot, if my drinks are cold, like all the, again, I would say those are basics, 
And I think those two runs, a lot of people can copy. You can copy and steal from any company. The third run, the one that gets much bigger out here, that's the service mentality. It's the philosophy that I'm going to do something so differentiated. You can't get that anywhere else. And that's where companies, I think, start to make a difference. When you talk about the experience, if I get some pretty unique people, because I know unique people create unique experiences, if I can't steal them from you, I'm never going to be able to copy and replicate your culture. So, you know, all of that together creates such a value orientation that people feel pretty good about the money that they're spending. Again, to me, it's it's regardless of what are the, whatever the product or service is. So again, I go product, environment, service is the differentiator to ultimately create a value that people go, I'm coming back, I'm spending more, and I'm going to talk about you positively. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier, and I've heard you mention it in your talks and even in your books, and I don't hear this enough from others because I, I preach the same. You emphasize the value of employees' individual behaviors, behaviors. Yeah. So why are behaviors so valuable to the brand? Yeah, you know, I started, I think, when I left Hard Rock. So I've been gone from the company 11 years. I was there 21 years, as you read in the introduction, you know, and I I absolutely love that brand. What I learned, not only from my time there, but even now, especially now, I guess, that I get a chance to interact with so many different companies. There are too many companies hanging their hat, again, on just the basic, the product, on the things that they sell. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think as long as you don't stop there, I think if you focus on these other things, but here's what I always learned. The definition of culture, right, is so fuzzy. It's so esoteric that if I ask somebody, what is the definition of culture? Sometimes they're going to get the mush mouth. Maybe they'll be able to give me an example. If I had 20 people in front of me, there'll be 20 different pieces. And and I will probably agree with all of them, Matt. I never, yeah. I never stomp on anybody because I can, I think I can look at all of their perspectives add it all up. But at the end of the day, I've come to the conclusion it really is about human behaviors. And this is the example I would use. Let's say, pick any company. It doesn't matter what it is. If you give me a company, I go, I love their logo. I love their font. I love their color palette. I love their buildings. I love everything they do, their tools, their forms, anything internal, their employee handbook, their processes, all of that stuff. But all the people, boom, I'm getting rid of all of them. I'm going to terminate all of them and go hire a whole bunch of different people. Have I created a different culture? I won't say 100%, but it's pretty high. It might be so drastic, it won't look the same versus the exact opposite. Let's say, um, you know, I hate the logo. I hate the the color palette. I hate the fact that the corporate office is here and I'm going to move it a mile down the road because it's a better building. I'm going to change all of the infrastructure and the tools and all that, but all of the people, they get to stay. Have I really changed the culture? Not so much. And even if I did, there's small little things. The percentage is going to be small. So I make this point that as long as you can recruit and interview and hire and hold on to and love on great, awesome rock stars, get the best talent you can find, what difference does it make? And here's the thing. Every time that somebody joins the band, every single time, immediately, the culture is going to take a hit. Every time it changes, the culture is going to change. So if I'm, let's say you hire me and I only hang out for three weeks and you get rid of me or I leave on my own, what it doesn't matter to me. Three weeks, I still made a debt in the culture, probably negatively. But if I take out the general manager, if I take out the CEO of the company, the founder, if that person leaves, then it's broad sweeping impact and influence is going to be all over the place. And the guy or girl that takes over for that person, they're going to do things the way that they want to do. 
So it's just constantly changing. But if you could have held on to the opening crew, whoever that opening staff was, 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, you'd have the exact culture that you started with. But it doesn't work like that. It is right. always predicated on human behavior. So I focus on that quite a bit, more than anything else. You can change all the infrastructure. You get the people right. Oh, my gosh, you're, you're going to get to nirvana, whatever that is to you. And to me, when you focus on defining those behaviors, these are our behaviors for delivering the experience and the service that we aspire to. To me, that makes it a lot simpler for employees. It creates that that filter, that decision-making tool in their head. Like when they have an opportunity or a question that says, should I do this or should I do this? If they have those behaviors already defined, then they know the decision to make. Yeah. And I, I will say this. I mean, if, as you were reading my book, I, I know that I don't go into that level of detail on purpose. I mean, right. steps of service, specifically what you're going to do. My background was food and beverage and education, but boy, there's going to be some company they're so radically different. I don't know that I could help them with the steps. So I go broad. I go 30,000 foot more than anything else. I do believe you've got to get those things though in place. First, when I say behaviors, I might be talking about who are the people? What is the stereotypical person that you're going to go and hire? Because if you don't right. know the holes you're going to fill, that you don't have the right pegs to go and find to, to fill those holes. So I think you've got to really figure out who is it that we need in our company that's going to absolutely do the things we need them to do. So you start with that. But then where behaviors might also be from a human behavior, I need that to match up to the company values. So the values, which, you know, in a lot of ways, they're just words on the wall, a poster, a wallet card, whatever, until they go into action, until somebody does something with it. And I see a lot of companies that will talk about their values at the very beginning of orientation and training, but then they never bring it up again. If you're not using it to help make decisions, including hiring to those values, well, then you're going to be all over the place. You can't come to me and complain, oh, I don't have the right people or my people aren't doing the things I need them to do. You got to make that a part of the process. So just so I'm clear too, when I talk about behaviors, part of it is the company has values. These individuals have behaviors and values, and you got to try and make sure that those things match up. A great example is Chick-fil-A. Yeah. There are some people in your audience that are going to absolutely love them. They have fallen madly in love with them. There are other people that are throwing stuff right now at the, at the screen because, or, or, or they're listening and they're like, ah, because I can't stand Chick-fil-A. Whether you love them or whether you don't like them, there is no doubt they hire the absolute right people for their brand. And when I was a consultant, there's no way that any client could ever come to me and say, oh, there's no good talent out there anymore. Yeah, there is. I can point to a bunch of different companies, including Chick-fil-A, that I go, they're out there. They just happen to have gotten their meat hooks in them a little bit earlier. For you to wine them and dine them off of that brand, and you probably have to pay them a lot more and love on them a little bit more, but you can do it. There's good talent out there. The really smart ones have already got a hold of them, though. Oh, yeah, ab absolutely. That's it. It's, you know, it is make sure that you can find that great talent. And yeah. know that that talent can fit into what you preach or your company values and the right behaviors for totally. your team members. Totally. Yep. And then once you have those defined, and, and again, it goes beyond just you know, announcing them you know, at, at one all-employee town hall one time or just sharing it with them on day one of orientation, I think that employees need to understand what it means in their role, especially when, you know, when you've got larger and more complex companies, 
Yes, these are our values. These are our behaviors. But now when you get into your functional area in your team, in your role, this is what it means to deliver that. And I think a lot of that just comes with ongoing communication, but also ongoing learning and training. Yeah. And I think this is where a lot of companies make a mistake. I know that's exactly what you're talking about. I was alluding to that earlier that, you know, the executives at some point, five, 10 years down the road, they run off to some island and they create these on their own and they come back and lay it in front of everybody. And we all feel good about it. But first off, I would try and get as many employees or at least a good representative of the staff involved so that there's some ownership. But yes, even if you really did have a video, a poster, a wallet card, if you're not throwing that thing down, if that thing isn't present somewhere when you're making decisions, then, you know, it's liar, liar, pants on fire. You're saying one thing, but you're doing something else, but you're making a really good point. I think if you can build it into the job description, into the performance appraisal, you know, what gets measured gets done. We can talk about those things, but if we have that ongoing conversation to say, not only is this the broad part of the business of the brand, this is exactly what it looks like in your role. In your whatever that frontline position is, you can. I, I love doing stuff like this. You sit down and talk about it and go, here are the 10 things that I can observe and see. This is bringing that particular value, that behavior, if you will, to life. And if you're not hitting all of those or you're doing something that's contrary to that, well, now it's a totally different discussion, right? Now I can hold somebody right. accountable. So, you know, it's funny. I have two different business partners for different companies, both of them with me and separately. We'll all talk about, you know, we call these our organizational principles, right? Our pillars, mission statement, purpose statement, the value orientation. When we can sit with a company for a day, at least the senior executives and walk them through what it looks like, here's some examples, and we can carve that out. We can get to that in probably a good day. But at the end of the day, you've got to be able to make sure that it works for the organization. And once it does, you can't just make it look pretty on the wall. I mean, that's just the thing. You've got to make sure that it comes to life and you're hiring to it. So I agree with you. Well, and then one of the things that you did throughout the book that I really, really enjoyed is you tied actual employees' names to the brand and to the customer experience. Like you said, Liz is the brand. Brian Austin is the experience. Lily is the experience. Yeah. So how can we take that idea and incorporate that into our customer experience? Well, I think nobody does that better. That's a great question. Nobody does it better than Zappos. I think most people now know. I used to talk about Zappos. There's still some companies I'm in front of, they've never heard of it before. But for the most part, I think most people know that is an online shoe retailer. They they right. sell shoes online. They don't even sell their own shoes. They sell other people's shoes. And yet when I look at brand health studies, they're probably always like number five, four, five, in, in you know, in the top of, of culture in service, the their late owner Tony Shea, you know, the guy who founded the thing, basically said, "We're going to be the greatest customer experience there is, not in our industry, like in any industry." Right. And so, one of the things that they do that I love, I mean, I can list three, four things that I absolutely adore from them. But one of them is they have a, a culture book, and when people come on board, every single person that works at Zappos, because it's a single location in Las Vegas. They all get to sign the culture book. So even if you stay a week or you stay 20 years, your name gets ensconced in this book for all time. That's one thing. But I didn't you know also that. get it. Oh, yeah. And you get a copy of the book, which is pretty cool. So in this book, it isn't just the signature. People are 
capturing and sharing stories. You know, it's the oldest form of learning and development on the planet. The caveman used to sit around and do that. So Zappa said, I'm going to capture this so that I've got living, documented history of what is great about our organization. If they can put it into a story form, this is what this person did, or this is what I did to solve this issue. The more that you can see, it gives you better opportunities to make it come to life for you in your own way when you're working at that company. So I I think when I was mentioning some of those brands, I was trying to give some examples and various different ones. I mean, the first name that you mentioned, Liz, was somebody who actually didn't do a great job. Um, and I was trying to protect her, but I'm basically throwing her under the bus because of an experience that happened with my father when he right. passed away. But there's others in there that I just watched them and I said, you know, look at the industry they're in. Look at this basic fundamental. Look at this thing that could have gone sideways and they totally fixed it. And it was awesome. And I was there and I observed it. So for me, when I hear that company, that brand, that culture, whatever it is, I think about the person. I don't even think about the brand first. I think about the person first now because they represent the company. Good, bad, or indifferent. That's just how my mind works. And I think today, you know, you started talking about experiences. I think the ones that can go and create the totality of the experience, that's when you know you've really got ensconced into somebody's mental shelf space. You created such an experience they can't fathom not having you in their life in some way, shape, or form. But at least the experience that we had, it'll live on forever. And I'm going to share this story with other people. And I have in this book. And I think it also helps for, especially for leaders to understand how customers view the brand. Yeah, And customers, they're the ones interacting with frontline employees. And so like, that's how they're viewing their brand experience. Yeah, in, in a book, as you know, they they have pull quotes. You know, they'll pull the seven, eight, nine things that were just really impactful from the page and make it such a you know a big standalone page. It's great for me because I've taken photographs of that and I'll use that in my social media. But those are like the key boom, right, right in your face type stuff. And one of those that I just tweeted out, I just I just threw it out on social media, I think two days ago, is nothing is more important than rocking the customer's face off. So, of course, I sometimes will get a little bit grandiose and over the top because I want it to have a little bit of stickiness. I know I can also be quiet and subtle and, you know, there's different moments of rock and roll. But I think most people need it to be a little bit over the top to be able to go, wow, I can remember that. My point on that is, and I am a, a, I'm a long time learning and development guy. Training and development was my world, working right. up through human resources. Yes, when I was in operations, I focused on the guest, on the consumer, on the customer, whoever the end user was. But my point is, if you're a leader, if you're somebody who has other people that are probably doing the work, my focus is not on necessarily the end user, on the customer. I need to focus on getting the people that are working for me to go out there and do that. And that that's a great definition of leadership, getting people to do the things that you need them to do that they might not have done on their own. For me, it just happens to be, like I said earlier, a preordained result. I know exactly what I need them to do. I might have to play Jedi mind tricks on a couple of them, but I'm hoping like heck that I hired the right ones. I've trained them. I'm communicating. I've developed them. I've rewarded them. I've recognized them that they now are wanting to do the job, not because they were told to do it, because they wanted to do it. So I still believe the ultimate has to be that customers go, I'm coming back. I'm spending more and I'm going to talk about you. But I probably, as I move up through the ranks, I am doing less and less and less of that. 
So if if somebody are is a frontline worker and they're listening right now, that's their job. They got to slake it. They, they got to come out there and bring the thunder every single day for every person. And it's going to be different for everybody. This person right now, they need me to go over the top and absolutely just rock it out. This person over here, they just need attention to detail and sense of urgency. And I'm going to use their name and I'm going to leave them alone. But you got to be smart enough to go, what is it that they need? I'm going to read the customer, seize the moment to personalize the experience. So obviously rock their world. Like that's the ultimate goal. So I love that you're saying that. And yes, I would want to do that. I'm probably now at the point that I'm less focusing on the customer. I talk about it, but it's because I need all of the team. I need all of the associates, the crew. They're the ones who are absolutely going to make the difference. Human oh, back, back to behaviors, right? That's it. Yeah, that, that's absolutely it. Well, then you talk about differentiating yourself and creating unique experiences. So how can a brand create that unique experience that differentiates themselves from their competition? Yes, uh, great. another great question. I think it's multi-pronged. So you start with getting the executives together and going, what is it that we want to do? We play in this space. Do we really want to be different? Because some say they do, but they really don't. They're scared to death. So they'll stay in, in Pleasantville, in Mediocreville. They'll just do the bare minimum because they're afraid to stick their neck out. For a variety of reasons, even today, in today's crazy cancel culture, what you can and can't do and say and do whatever, I'm sure there are some issues out there. But in general, I get the executives together and have a real heart to heart. Don't talk about the P&L. Let's don't talk about what the financials are. I want to talk about this thing. What, what do we do and how can we be different? If we pull two or three things out of there of how we can be different, then we've got to communicate it and implement it down to the brand. So I think it starts at the top in a lot of ways. But then it gets to the next point. You go, what is it that everybody else is doing? Because I at least need to do that. And then let's push the envelope a little bit further. Then you open it up to the employees. Because honestly, I think the frontline staff, once again, are going to have a lot of fantastic answers. They, they will have solutions that you hadn't even thought about. So you got to figure out what are my communication forums where I can start gathering as much information and not slap their hands because they talked about something that was so off the rails. I think they need as many innovative ideas as possible to come to the table and allow that freedom, that flexibility. But then you get the final two that I would maybe think about right offhand. One is you got to go and hire the people that are willing and wanting to do that. So I use that terminology, rock stars. I really do believe unique people, they get left behind in a lot of ways. You know, in, in my world at Hard Rock, but now there's so many companies that were like this tattoos, body piercings, mohawks, colored hair. You know, somebody had a tattoo peeking out of their sleeve just because of that ink. They're not going to get a job at specific places because some people just refuse to hire people that have any tattoos that are visible. Well, you can do that. I don't know how long you can keep doing that because there's more people getting tattoos than ever before. You're going to run out of talent at some point to hire. But okay, let's say you stick to your guns and that's off the table. Maybe somebody who's a rock star, they're a little bit more how should I say this? Unpredictable, a little bit more irreverent. Rock stars come with baggage. But you know what I'd rather have, Matt? I'd rather have one person on my team of 50. I'm just making that number up. That is a little bit unique, a little bit different that every once in a while, he or she is stepping across the line. Like I got to pull them back. This is going to be an HR nightmare. But for me, I would rather have that person that I go, dude, come here. You know, you got to pull it back. You're going to get me in trouble. I'm going to go to jail, something just yeah, a little bit. You know, I'd rather that than have 50 automatons 
They can't do anything exciting and I'm pushing them uphill to do anything exciting for the customer. So I think that the big one is hiring some people that are going to be different and not being scared of that. And then at the end of the day, you give them the entire flexibility of the entire playing field to go out there and do things. And and you know what? Maybe they're going to do something that wasn't in the manual, that wasn't something they thought about. They need to be able to stand in front of you and say, this is why I did this. I totally rocked their world. Maybe it costs a little bit of money or a little bit of effort, a little bit of angst, whatever it is. I would rather somebody focus on on doing something right for the guest, for the consumer, for the end user. So I know I gave you four or five things. You can't do all of them, but if you're going to do something, start at the top and have the conversation. What are you going to allow? And then go out and hire to that. Those two things alone will get you to some differentiation. Oh, yeah. And like you were saying, it's a lot easier to try and reel somebody in a couple of feet from just stepping over the line a little bit too far than it is to try to push 50 people up and hill to try to get them to come up with new ideas. Yeah. I, I once had a CEO at Hard Rock that said, you know, when I can tell that we're, we're rolling back into mediocrity is when I stop getting complaint letters from customers. He goes, if I'm not getting people that we're offending somewhere. Now, again, this is a rock and roll brand. It's a wonderful right. palette with which to paint but they probably were a little bit more irreverent, a little bit more unpredictable. But boy, you talk about being authentic and passionate and committed. They were. And and this is something that the CEO said, do I want to receive those? No. But I know when I'm getting fewer and fewer and fewer, we're not out there doing something different than everybody else. I'm not encouraging that. I'm just saying it was an interesting thing to note because in some brands, they're going to have to start taking some chances. Somebody's got to put their toe in the water at some point. Oh, absolutely. And it could be, Uh, you know, that those were complaint letters. There could be other indicators that help you understand whether you're pushing the ideas or not. And maybe that could be, hey, we're noticing a higher amount of expenses related to our frontline employees solving problems. Why are these expenses, you know, um, increasing so much? Well, it's because we've empowered them to take care of problems up to a certain amount. Oh, you know what? Great. As as long as we're seeing it within a certain level, then that means they're doing their job. And then if you see those expenses decline, well, then are are, are frontline employees not solving these problems very well? I love that example. That's a great one. And I think once you sort of get into that headspace, you'll find more and more measurements, more metrics, more things that you can look at that would actually measure the stuff we're talking about. I'm a metric-driven guy. The more metrics, the better. I want to know if I'm winning or losing because then I can do some course correction. I think that's an awesome example. That speaks to something that you talk about in your book as well is empowerment, being able to empower your employees. So talk to me about the value of empowerment. You know, empowerment's a funny word. Uh, When I first heard this and I was a brand new manager, um, you know, well, it it did happen while I was a brand new manager at Hard Rock. But even before that, I had a little stint at Olive Garden as well. When I heard the word empowerment, what that basically meant was abandonment. I saw that the senior boss would say, you're empowered to make these decisions, and then they would leave. And so you would make the decision, and then you'd get stomped on because you either did something that was against the values or you spent more money than you should have or whatever it was. So I think if you truly think about the word empowerment, which is you have the ability to make decisions, and it might be leader-level you know, level decisions. It might be a little bit more than what your normal pay grade is. But when you're able to make decisions on your own, without having to call the boss over to sign something, to do something, to get approval to do something. What you get, I think, with that 
is a lot of people that will stick around a little bit longer. You basically are buying them for another six months to a year because nobody wants to be micromanaged. Although people do really want to be managed. They don't say it out loud, but they want a leader. But in general, I don't want anybody over my shoulder. And if you told me I had the ability to, let's say, make a decision where I could give away a free whatever, or I can make a decision to do something and let people stay a little bit longer, whatever it is, whatever that little bit is, I feel like, wow, I am empowered to make great decisions. And then they start thinking about leadership. Ultimately, that's the name of the game. Not only am I solving a problem that I, as a boss, don't have to go and solve at every single one of them, because I, you know, I got to pick my battles. Where, where do I need to be in the business? And if I'm ensconced in the business, I'm never working on the business. I never get to work at a, at a broader perspective and think strategically because all I'm doing is putting out fires. So if I can get Ali Ali income free, I get everybody who can make great decisions. And now is somebody going to you know, take advantage of it? Is somebody going to make a mistake? Yeah, but I'd rather manage that performance like we were talking about before. Pull that person back a little bit, have that discussion versus not giving anybody the ability to make those decisions. And I think the cool part is eventually some of them will go, I I like this management type stuff. I'm going to move into leadership. And so you want to try and focus on internal promotions as much as possible. Oh, yeah. I say that because I don't know what the actual cool percentage would be. Is it 50-50? I just think if I have to go to the outside and hire a new manager because I didn't have anybody developed internally, then shame on me. We're not in a good place. But if I got a nice bench strength, if I got the AAA ball club ready to go, And I can pick and I'm choosing to go to the outside for different perspective, different ideas, fresh blood. That's a different example. But I think people that are empowered and all of a sudden they become a supervisor and one day they're like, I want to be a manager. It's going to be a much easier decision than trying to rope people either internally that aren't ready or only hiring from the outside. So I I think there's a there's a long term play when it comes to empowerment. But I think, honestly, just giving people the ability to make decisions these days is really going to go a long way. People will want to stick around versus going down the road to having somebody that's just going to be over their hump the whole time, you know? Oh, yeah. And I think it helps provide that sense of ownership. Like, oh, I I get to have more stake in the game. Like, I get to own more than just like this this lower level of work. I get to own beyond just the day-to-day. Exactly. I'm with you. All right. So I want to say something here about this podcast because uh, the podcast is actually labeled as clean. We don't have explicit material in here. Every once in a while, a guest may say a curse word. I'll allow it, but then I'll go and edit it out. Yes. But I do want to talk about four letter words. Yeah. And the four letter words that our customers may use to describe our experience. So what are the four-letter words and what can we do to avoid them? Uh-oh. You ready for the bleep button? Here you go. <laughs> uh, I, I think they're different than what most people would probably be thinking would be in my head. The four-letter words I talk about all the time are fine, yeah. good, and if you spell it out, okay. Yeah. I, I hear these words and they, they scream of mediocrity. And so the example I would say is if somebody just finished interacting with a brand and I asked somebody, how was the experience? I don't care if I was doing it on the phone or, or on a web survey, somebody standing outside with a clipboard and a sheet of paper, doesn't matter. But if I ask the question, how was the experience? And they come to me with, it was fine. It was good or it was okay. Yeah. I think these are the ultimate death knells. At some point, this is the fastest way for you to start going out of business. So 
I really do talk about it. Of course, it's a fun play on the words. People think I'd be using something <laughs> else, but four letter words to me, I, I just, you know, if I ask somebody, isn't that the best barbecue ribs you've ever had? And they go, yeah, they were okay. If I'm in barbecue, that that's not good. Isn't that yeah. the best bed you ever slept on? It was fine. I don't know about the best. Ding, 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 ding. These are red flags for me. So, and by the way, those are the type of questions I would ask anybody. When I was working in operations, oh, I'm coming with the cockiness. You know, not that it necessarily is the best burger you ever had, but I'm going to ask the question because I know one of two things are going to happen. Either they're going to be like, yes, or it's not. And it gives me an opportunity to have a conversation with the guests. So I love questions like that. But if they ever come to me with fine, good, and okay, I think there's a lot of work that that we need to focus on. And, you know, I use examples of some books and some uh, some quotes, some companies that might have been mediocre at some point in the past. I won't do that today, but I, I use examples all the time to let people know if that's all you're going to do, then don't complain to me about your financials or your turnover, the number of people that are coming and going. You've got to ratchet it up. You've got to have an experience that is beyond that, that there's no way that someone's going to come with a four-letter word unless it's going to be, you know, that thing rocks. And that would actually be five letters, you know? This place is awesome. It's fantastic, you know? It can't come with fine, good, or okay. Those are those are my hated four-letter words, man. Well, when we think about our customers being our fans, as the company leader, as the brand owner, we can feel like a rock star when we've got these fans. But you say that one of the secrets to turning customers into fans is treating them like the rock star. So how do you go about doing that? I just think, you know, you, you go above and beyond. It's, there's a litany of things that I could do. I mean, it is making strong eye contact. It is smiling with them, you know, showing your teeth. I, I, actually, some of these, I can prove statistics that people will have a better experience. They'll actually leave a bigger tip if you're in a hospitality service environment. Um, so, so there's some mechanical type things, but honestly, I think if you just have complete focus on them. So I use a couple examples like, uh, you know, there were times that I might be working in some business and, you know, the place could be on fire in, in a good way. Like it's just, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Or even if it was bad and the place is burning down, but if I'm talking to a guest, if I'm talking to a customer at that moment, it doesn't matter to me if my boss is walking up or if another employee or some problem they're all getting a hand because right now I'm in complete connection. I'm completely ingrained in whatever the end user needs. And I think you get credit for that. When you just, you take away everything else, it reminds me of West Side Story, of Tony looking at Maria in West Side oh. Story the first time. That thing was filmed so that everything was blurry when he sees her in the dance. She's the That's only thing right. in focus. And so I think the more that you can do that, whether you, you need some physical representation whether you think about, oh, I need to make eye contact and be quick and have a sense of urgency and attention to detail. Maybe I know them and I can use their name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do all those things. I do think you ought to do that. But I think at the end of the day, you make them feel like there is nothing more important than what I'm doing right now. I think people are really going to give you credit. And once again, they're going to walk out of there because of the person and go, I'm coming back. I'm spending more. I'm going to talk about you personally. Here's a great example. There are a million things that you and I could be doing right now. There's nothing more important. I am 100% ingrained. If, if the FedEx guy shows up, if somebody's knocking on the door, if I had a dog running around, I could, I could zero all that stuff out. There's nothing more important than what I'm doing right now for the hour that we're going to be together. So I think if there are more people that could treat them like a rock star, that, that to me 
is treating them like a top, you know, a, a VIP person, treating them like you're, yeah. it's your best friend. Well, how would you act if your best friend came in? You know, how would you act if somebody actually came to your house and you were going to throw a party? I think you would cater to them. You'd listen to everything they said. You, you'd give them the five cent tour. You would do yeah. everything in your power to just slather over them, right? How can you do that in a business environment? I think it's sort of the, the same thing. And I think people will feel that. It's not the stuff you sell. It's how you made me feel. So if you can do that, treat them like a rock star, you're going to win. I think a lot of it comes down to treating the customer like we care about them because we do and treating them like we care that they actually come back. Yeah. It's, you know, my, my friend, Brant Mentoir, who I do uh, our podcast as well, and I've got some of their businesses with him. He uses the analogy all the time, instead of the golden rule, which is treat people the way that you want to be treated. He talks about the platinum rule, right. treat people the way that they want to be treated. Well, you're not necessarily always going to know what they want, but the more that you listen and focus on them and really zero in, you can cater to them as much as, as you possibly can. Again, it goes back to what we were saying before, read the guest, seize the moment to personalize the experience. And when you do that, they're going to come back, spend more money and talk about you. That's it. Yeah. We've got a lot of great small local businesses right near our neighborhood. And my family and I love to support these small businesses. And I'm not going to share too many details ab about this one, but uh, just because it's it, it turned into like not the best experience. When we first started visiting, that you know that there were a couple of people there that the moment you walk in the door, they are treating you almost like royalty. You haven't oh, spent yes. a dime yet, but they're treating you like royalty, and they're asking you, "Well, what do you like? What are your interests? Oh, you like that? Well, hey, let me show you some of these things that you may also like," and then just continually engaging with you these employees have moved on to other places. And so now when we've gone in, it's like, I'm there and I feel almost like a burden. It's like, you you don't want me here, do you? Or you would really be okay if I never came back, right? It's the quintessential problem. I was talking about it before. That opening crew, and maybe they weren't the opening staff, but you had developed a relationship. There was an emotional connection there. I think when you, if you're an employee and you can personalize, customize, individualize the experience for every person they come into contact with. And again, it can be huge and big and over the top or it can small and subtle or whatever it is. Everybody needs something different. But when you can personalize it for them, you create an emotional attachment so much so that you, you just don't want to go and shop anywhere else. And so when you lose that person and now they just brought somebody else in and now you're starting from scratch again. It's tough. And maybe if they're a really good rock star, you can develop a, a new relationship, right? But yeah. the problem is, and, and maybe COVID's a part of that. I think everything is learned behavior. I mean, this is the problem with me. I, I, I put it on the back of parents a lot, but it's really a whole litany of things, right? By the time somebody wants to be a, I don't know how old the people were in, the, in that business. Let's say they're 19, 20, 21 year, years old. They learned everything before they got to you, to that business. They learned from their parents or school, or the playground, or religion, or lack of religion, or their friends, or whatever it is, they are the way they are. And if their natural disposition isn't to smile and have a personality and have the juice running through their veins, that they yeah. want to do something cool for you, man, all the best training and communicating in the world isn't going to help a bad hire. So for businesses, now we're going all the way back to like the first one or two questions, right? That's right. It, it's, it's HR 101. It's hiring 101. It's I got to find people who want to do that. Not that I have to coerce them because when the boss isn't around, 
they're going to do what they want to do. And if their natural disposition isn't to smile, you, you know, or have a, have a great time with somebody, it's going to be a problem. I thought I was a pretty good trainer, to be honest with you, Matt. I can tell you, I can't train people to have a smile. I can't. I've tried to give people a personality. You either got it or you don't. And, and you can learn. You can actually focus on it. If it's within something you want to do, you can make it happen. But if you don't, you're always going to be the way you are. And so it's unfortunate, man. You're probably always going to feel like that if it's the same people in there. Either yeah. somebody's got to go in there and give them a swift kick and they've got to think differently, or there's going to have to be a new crew at some point. They will move on to something else. And uh, hopefully you'll get some rock stars involved. Hopefully so. But like I said, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. There's so many strategies and tactics you can take with your customer experience, but it comes down to the culture. And yeah. I think that part of it is one, defining those values and defining those behaviors and then hiring the right people that can fit into those values 100%. and behaviors and then give them enough guidance to guide their personality as it fits in with your brand. That's exactly right. So if I was the, if I was the boss, if I was the person who was running the joint and I did all that, let's say I have all my stuff in place. I've got the values. I'm hiring the right people. I really hardly ever have to be involved every once in a while because we do hire humans. Humans are going to make a mistake. That's what I get hired to do as a manager to go and fix a problem. That's what I should be doing. Not actually working in the business like we talked about before. So if I get all those things right, yeah, I've, I've got a few leadership things I need to do, but it's probably more about inspiring and motivating the masses, you know, but every once in a while I'll solve a problem. The ones that don't focus on getting that mission and purpose and values in place, they don't know what they're hiring to. They're just like, here, breathe on this mirror. You got a pulse. Yep. You're going in and you're just hiring anybody to fill a position. At some point, they're going to be a statistic. They're going to be a problem. They're either going to get you in trouble or they're going to leave anyway. You, you never get to the sweet stuff because you're like a hamster in the wheel. So I, I hope that people are getting something out of this, that if they're at all in a position where they hire anybody, it's probably mission number one. It's probably more important than anything else. I, I, you list everything that a manager does. If you can't hire the right people, you're just going to have problems that are going to, you know, they're going to come back to roost at some point. Yeah. I mean, like what, just make, make the job simpler for yourself by hiring the right people to begin with. And, and by the way, this isn't easy. I mean, the stuff we're oh. talking about is some of the hardest stuff you're ever going to do because it might be that we're in an environment of low, you know, low unemployment, or maybe you think there's no good talent out there, both of which I don't think are true. I think you can find people out there. You probably have to mine for them. They might not even be in your industry. You know, they might be in, in a totally different space. You weren't even thinking about it all. But I sure, think if sure. you can go out there and really look for them and mind for them, you'll find some pretty unique people. And again, unique people create unique experiences. That's what you want. That's it. That's how you stand out. All right, Jim, last question for you. Uh -oh. If you were to create a five-song soundtrack for Service That Rocks, what song would you include? Oh, man, you know, I, I knew this one was coming. I know this is sort of a part of your your plan. And so I did think about this from a business standpoint. First off, I would have to say back in black. AC, yes. AC, as you know, I, I don't know why, but I'm probably wearing black on stage more than anything else. I know it's the universal color of rock and roll, but I think we all look a little bit slimmer. Um, I would pick Drive from Incubus. I have a oh, lot of drive. I, I have a lot of uh, commitment and passion 
to the business. Um, so, so that would probably be a good one. Um, I'm a big Kiss fan, but this one in particular, I would do God Gave Rock and Roll to You. Oh, probably a, a, you know, a little bit of a lesser known Kiss song, but I love it. And for a couple of reasons, rock and roll, God, I'm a Christian as well. So nice. I sort of put all of that stuff in there. Um, I would probably pick It's My Life from Bon Jovi. Okay, nice. Uh, you know, basically because I'm an entrepreneur now, like I don't work for anybody else. And I'm basically yeah. saying when I jumped off the deep end of hard rock about 11 years ago, I wanted to do things a certain way. I could have gone uh, w- with old blue eyes. I could have gone with Frank Sinatra and said, uh, my way. My way. But I thought this would be a little bit. It's not so in your face. It's my life I love. And then I'm going to go with Journey. Don't stop believing, man. You can't go wrong with that. I just, I really do have a very positive look on life. I think that uh, you can pretty much attain anything, particularly in this country, in the U.S. Um, that, that would probably be my set list of five, man. Nice. I don't know. How did I do? Are, are, are those songs okay? Do they work for you? <laughs> You know what? I'm I'm going to go listen to him right now. I'm pumped up just thinking about him. Love awesome, it. man. Thank you. Cool. Well, Jim, I've learned a lot from you. I've learned a lot from your book. I've learned a lot today, but where can people go to learn more from you? Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. I know to be transparent before I tell you that, we uh, I've been trying to get on the show and, and uh, I live in Central Florida. We had a couple hurricanes come through here. Two of the three times I know that I rescheduled, literally we had scheduled it for the day. These things were rolling through town. So I'm so thankful we made this happen. Uh, All roads for me lead back to my website at Night Speaker. So my last name is Night, K-N-I-G-H-T, speaker.com. You can see everything. I have a training program called Certified Rockstar there that I do with my business partner. I have a podcast called Thoughts at Rock. You can see all my books. So whatever it is you're looking for, you want to see some video clips of me doing my thing. I'd be so honored. So nightspeaker.com. And again, Matt, I'm so thrilled to finally get on the show, brother. Oh, I am too. Jim, I am so grateful we're able to make it happen. And I'm grateful for your time today. Me too. All right, brother. Rock on. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Jim Knight. So go and learn more from him at nightspeaker.com. From his books, to his training program, to his podcast, Thoughts That Rock, You'll find plenty of resources to help you develop a team and a culture that rocks. And be sure and pick up your copy of Service That Rocks. It'll help you and your team learn how to deliver a rock star experience every time. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. It's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Anne Handley. Anne's the chief content officer for Marketing Profs, where they educate more than 600,000 marketers around the world. Her B2B Marketing Forum is the premier global marketing event for B2B marketers. Anne's a Wall Street Journal bestselling author, and she's consistently named one of the most influential marketers on social media. Her book, Everybody Writes, Your Go-To Guide to Creating Ridiculously Good Content, has been considered the Bible for marketing writing for about nine years now. Well, she's recently expanded and revised Everybody Writes to update it for how marketing, content, writing, and audience mindset have evolved over the past nine years. And she claims that this version is 10% funnier than the first edition. I think she's sandbagging a bit because it's super funny. Anne and I discuss her lessons from Everybody Writes, including building strong writing habits, her framework for consistently creating ridiculously good content, crafting and evolving your brand voice, and so much more. 
So if you go ahead and subscribe to the Simple Brand Podcast, then you'll automatically get Ann's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Simple.